This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. Those of you who are on our newsletter know that we occasionally cover public sector AI use cases. We've covered artificial intelligence for the Chinese military, artificial intelligence at the CIA, at the Department of Homeland Security, artificial intelligence policing, all kinds of interesting use cases. And the public sector is a place that now has more attention on it than ever. As the private sector is freezing up in response to the coronavirus, the public sector is going to be a key area of funds for artificial intelligence vendors. If you're a service provider, a consultant, an IT professional services person, and you're looking for sales for artificial intelligence projects, the public sector is going to be an area rife for opportunity. We've recently put together a report called the U.S. Public Sector AI Opportunity Report. This is what are the core priorities of the United States government in defense and out of defense, and who is spending money? So what are the key departments? What are the key players? What are the key initiatives? And how can you align with that? The research fellow here at Emerge that's responsible for the majority of the research for this report is Ryan Smithwright. Ryan began his career as a consulting analyst at Accenture for a number of years. He ran a small business platform startup in the Boston area and has since worked in defense. He's worked as a scrum master for various startups, and he's been a research fellow here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research for the last eight months. Ryan did a lot of heavy lifting for this U.S. public sector AI opportunity report, and we speak with Ryan this week about what were some of the biggest surprises for him when it comes to real themes about where the United States government seems to be pointing its AI strategy. What are the things that aren't obvious from the surface, as well as coaxing out some of the data and some of the stats from the report itself? If you're interested in the full report and you want to see a breakdown of where the United States government is going to be spending on artificial intelligence, and what are the goals and the departments that you can get a hold of in order to sell AI-related projects, products, or services, you can go to emerj.com slash g-o-v-1. That's emerj.com slash g-o-v-1. You can always go to emerge.com slash reports, and you can see all of our reports. But if you're interested in this one, which if you're listening to this episode, I suspect you will be, go to emerge.com slash gov1. Without further ado, this is Ryan Smithright here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Ryan, it was way back in the fall of last year when we first started digging into these documents. And to be honest, it was you and I that did the analysis, but it was you that really did the digging. There's a lot to get into here, and I'm excited about this interview. I wanted to kick us off on the theme of the space race analogy. There was a lot that came out about kind of U.S. leadership and the race with China. Flesh out that analogy in terms of what you saw across looking at so many dozens of U.S. strategy AI docs. Yes, sir, Dan. We started out talking about a number of different topics, and I'm glad we settled on this one. It's been a lot of fun to research. And I think the space race is a really good analogy for what's happening in the world right now. So the current U.S. administration is even using the terms AI race. And the reason I like the space race as an analogy for the dynamic of technology change and investment between the United States and China is because we do have we have some real elements of of competition we have a little bit of fear we have some excitement we have new technologies that are very powerful which means they could be very good and very bad and to give some more specific context you know we've seen the proliferation of ai strategies formal strategies starting back in 2017 actually canada was first um, and immediately following that was china and since then many nations have 
joined with formal AI strategies. The United States uh, published its formal strategy in 2018. And in February 2019, an executive order was signed founding the American Artificial Intelligence Initiative. And it's been interesting to watch this unfold because we we weren't really sure if this was going to be saber rattling or if this is going to have much force behind it. Uh, Some of the provisions in that order were fairly vague. And uh, what we have seen is that there's been a ravenous appetite for basically throwing at the money at the problem of maintaining U.S. leadership in this area. I see a lot of parallels with my understanding of uh, the history of the space race. Yeah, you know, in the actual full report, obviously, you go into so many of the different departments within the U.S. government and look at how many of them are, how far along in developing their AI strategy. So there's a lot of granularity here across different parts of the government. When you think about where this China analogy, this race with the great competitor sort of analogy comes up, is this primarily on the purely DOD side of things? Or does this seem to be for the entirety of sort of AI.gov for the the US government writ large? I mean, where, where does this shine forth through all these different documents and departments? Yeah, that's a great question. So the US Department of Defense in America has for many years been one of the largest forces in the world funding fundamental research. And they have absolutely been a global leader for years in the moving forward artificial intelligence. This artificial intelligence initiative, as it's, as it's named, is it is about getting the entire U.S. government on board and you know catching up with the U.S. military in some ways. So the 2020 budget is the first budget with an AI section, and there's almost a billion dollars in new non-defense AI spending. And very recently, we also saw a commitment in a fact sheet that's that's not yet formalized, but uh, a commitment from the current administration to fund double that, another billion dollars over the following two years. And the leaders of this initiative are among the top, you know, scientific and and uh, public leaders, you know, in the U.S. administration. At the highest level of the council, we have the director of DARPA and the director of the National Science Foundation. It doesn't get any higher than that. So there's leadership at the highest levels. And we're seeing a lot of focus in in other areas right now, but I think it should be of special interest to people that there are many areas of the economy that are going to be challenged and that are going to be shrinking. You know, there's a lot of concern about, you know, where should, should businesses and leaders be directing their attention? And this is an area where we're not likely to see uh, a decrease of spending. We're yeah, seeing right. um, an historic increase in spending that's going to continue. Yeah, I think that's part of the kind of increasing relevance of this document. Again, in, in the fall, when we had set out to say, where are the AI opportunities? Where, where, where are the opportunities for partnership? Where are the current investments? What are the critical priorities of the U.S. government? Not only for government leaders, but for people that want to sell into the government, partner with the government, whatever. We didn't have the prescience of the virus. But I think now, as you know, retail and supply chain and finance to some degree or another are, are really going to be taking a wallop. I think that it's all the more interesting for the folks tuned in here to get a sense of, well, you know, the government has funds, the government has priorities that are not fading. Um, you know, where where are these energies shifting? And so maybe we can get into, I, I know you talked about kind of rapid budget expansion. We have 
you know, the 2020 budgets, we have what's happening in 2021. Obviously, the full report, we have the, you know, the pie charts, and you break things down pretty well as to exactly where these funds are headed. Mm -hmm. Any kind of preview of what stuck out at you? You know, you look at where the funds are going outside of just the military. Where are things headed here? So do you want to focus on where the money's going or really where at the highest level this we're seeing focus from the U.S. government? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's another sort of portion of the report here. So one of the things that I liked, which is really your idea about halfway into our research, was essentially breaking down the critical priorities across all of the U.S. strategy documents mm-hmm. that had come out. So a lot of formal strategy documents, a lot of stated priorities. How do we congeal them, find commonalities, find the ones that show up the most? And that was pretty laborious work going through dozens of articles <laughs> and press releases. And you know, I, I, uh, I was there for that. And so there were some themes there that jumped out time and time again and are ubiquitously important. And I think for people that are trying to sell to the U.S. government to know the underlying motives behind so many of their initiatives, I think is, is uh, you know, exceedingly valuable. What are a few of those that are important to know and, and that maybe we can preview here? Yeah, sure. I, I've been happy to do the work. There are a lot of words in, in these government docs and a lot of government docs to read. And one thing that I noticed is, yeah, there certainly is an evolution of the stated priorities across these published strategies and, and documents and, you know, summaries of the, of the various conferences. But uh, I, I think we came to a really good, you know, and very true, yeah, summary of, of the priorities. And, you know, it, it amounts to three sections. There's a ravenous appetite for innovation and support that has real uh, teeth and, and muscle and bone to it. There is a desire for alignment inside the United States and between the United States and uh, internationally. And there's a you know, desire to enable uh, additional capabilities and, and adoption. I could break that down even, even further, more specifically. So inside of innovation, lots of funding for new fundamental research. The United States has a very explicit goal of maintaining leadership. And I, I think, you know, depending on who you speak with, leadership can, you know, there are many leaders. And part of the dynamic that we see is, you know, USA number one. And, you know, I hope we can get to this at some point, but uh, I I think, you know, I I have a personal view that, you know, the space race is a really good analogy, you know, so the space race had, you know, created some incredible opportunities and inspired a generation. And there was also some fear wrapped up there. And, And so, you know, I really hope that what we can get is the best things that we saw from the space race and also maybe we can maintain some good sportsmanship. You know, competition can be good, but if, if we don't if we don't make sure that we have good sportsmanship uh, in the USA's relationship with its competitors in this area, specifically China, some people may get injured on the field. Yeah. <laughs> uh, development of US public-private partnerships is a huge theme and it's a great sign. This is not happening in a vacuum. There are increasing opportunities to get engaged uh, with the public. There are requests for, for commentary. And frankly, you know, there are really big budgets. They want to be spending money with, you know, the the U.S. government doesn't want to do this all on its own. It knows it is going to need help from the smartest people in the world to move this innovation forward. And it's asking for proposals. Uh, So that's in the area of innovation. And in the area of alignment, it is actively moving forward plans for coordination internationally. It wants to form standards. And I think a good analogy for the importance of standards is the current state of of the internet, you know, what is HTTP and how is it that the United States has been so fundamental to the structure of the domain name system and 
the central routing of you know domains, it's because the U.S. got involved very early on in the formation of standards. And those standards are forming now. And so we all have an opportunity to be part of this. It's important to be aware. It's important to know that, that people can get engaged. And as far as enablement goes, um, I think that there's a there's a lot of hype going on. Obviously, right? There's like, what what is AI? Is that is that uh, is that Terminator? You know, so yeah, yeah. Uh, people want to know how can they be really effective? What what specific tools can I use that are out of the box? And and it really does depend. You know, this is still pretty broad. The summary here: some people want to get engaged as researchers and do fundamental research. Some, you know, <laughs> some organizations just have CTOs who just, hey, man, I'm overwhelmed with my current stuff. Like, do I need to be worried is a, is a question a lot of people have. You know, am I, am I going to lose ground if I don't pay attention? And, you know, what can I use that's going to help me hit the ground running? Well, the U.S. is basically willing to pay to get answers to those questions because they have a mandate. They have to you know, th this is uncommon. Yeah. You know, it's, it's uncommon in large corporations to just say, hey, you need to go definitely spend this money to innovate across every agency. And this is a central effort. That's one thing that, that we're seeing. So they are specifically aiming to break down barriers that would prevent innovation, free up the data that all these uh, agencies have, get things into the cloud, get data so that it can be used, you know, across and between agencies. And I think that's the conclusion of the highest level summary that we have for these priorities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's there's a lot here. I mean, clearly the the China tension is constant, at least from what I've seen of the analysis. I mean, the, the China relations are not getting better with this virus, but I certainly hope it doesn't go you know more south in in any rougher sense. Something I might jump in in with yeah, here yeah. is kind of regarding this race, we're seeing that, you know, the U.S. and China are leading in different ways. The U.S. is is leading in funding uh, of fundamental research, but China is leading in adoption, for example. You know, and, and when it comes to COVID-19, China's facial recognition is unsurpassed in the world. Oh, for sure. Uh, for they, sure. they have been using it preceding the events of COVID-19, and they have used it very effectively and very quickly for tracing. They have been using it in the context of biometric uh, pattern detection. They have police officers in public transit stations who are monitoring people to measure their breathing patterns and detecting fevers in near real time. And, and, and that's partly using artificial intelligence technology. We're not seeing those kind of things happening in the United States, even though we have so much money for funding here. Yeah. And, uh, and, and also AI is... is accelerating development of new tests and new vaccinations. So organizations that are already fluent with these tools become capable of bringing them to bear for rapidly evolving uh, challenges. And these are dynamics we're going to continue to see. Yeah, I think that, you know, and, and who knows exactly how well China's contained this or not contain this, depending on, you know, how the numbers shake out and, and what kind of comes about by the time the dust settles, whenever that actually does occur. But clearly, to your point, there are domains where, you know, adoption is pretty streamlined. And, and I think that part of what you're articulating here about the mandate to adopt AI, which I think if you're selling the technology or, or mm -hmm. selling services related to it is somewhat exciting, is that there is a yeah. mandate yeah. to get into it simply because I think the US government understands, it's rather clear from the analysis here, they understand that there are capabilities that they have to build to undergird future technology efforts, to undergird everything that they're doing in terms of their far-reaching kind of 
tech future, they have to be able to enable uh, these technologies. And I think the China tension is helping to drive that. So maybe we wouldn't see, uh, or, or I think actually, I mean, we almost certainly wouldn't see the same urge and mandated sort of call to action to to deploy these technologies as if we had zero tension going on with China right now. Do you think the U.S. has a, you know, from from your reading on the outside of these documents here and, and digging into sort of all the different various and sundry strategy points and how it's being worded, you know, there's maybe some that are written in a way that seem as though they understand the core tech better than others. Do you think that the United States has a reasonably strong understanding of the kinds of core capabilities that it needs to build, you know, in the Department of Energy, Department of or, uh, National Institutes of Health, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Do, do they sort of get what they're trying to build here on some level, or do they just know it has to involve AI? That's a great question. And the answer is it completely depends and it varies widely. There are parts of the U.S. public sector that are as elite and as advanced more elite and more advanced than anywhere on earth. The innovation that DARPA is doing, it, you know, it's an incredible amount of money. And in this report, I, I found, and I, I can't claim credit for compiling this, but I, you know, I included it in detail because the specific individual projects just in, in the fold of AI are impressive and you know, broad and deep. And on, on the other side, you know, there are parts of the US government with multi-billion dollar budgets that are that still have a lot of paper forms. There's a dynamic that we see in the US military where we have some parts of the US military with dramatically more advanced capabilities than anywhere else that we see, but then the administration is sometimes, you know, hamstrung to advance or to make efficient use of their resources. And so I haven't seen pushback as far as, and I, I'm not privy to exactly the dynamics. I'm, I'm coming to this from the outside and from reviewing documents and, and uh, you know, seeing the results of these meetings. But what I see is that this is not safe rattling. People are getting on board. The organization is moving forward apace to enact these changes and to break down whatever barriers may be needed. But in some cases, these strategies are, are very significant and large. So, for, for example, if you go to strategy.data.gov, you'll see one thing that has been not specifically created for this, but which is aided by the, the new artificial intelligence in, initiative, is the U.S. is trying to wrap its arms around all of its data and how it can be useful and how it can be centralized. They have created a 20 step action plan. And to answer your question, they have playbooks published for the first two actions, which are identifying data needs to answer priority agency questions and constituting a diverse data governance body. But it might be surprising that some of these capabilities are, are not, that, that a more central um, organization of of data doesn't exist. But at the same time, there's, there's an incredible need for security. And so balancing that and managing it and you know, I, I think it's commendable that these things are moving forward. Uh, it's exciting. It's also going to be difficult. Those are all a sign that they're going to need help and they're looking for help. Yeah. Right? They're, they're looking to engage with, with leaders to, to help move this forward. So I guess the, the short answer to how well do they have this understood is, well, it depends on the department. So, you know, clearly there's some areas yeah. where we, we have different tennis. levels of maturity yeah. depending on, on different departments, you know, yeah. that, uh, and the largest departments are, are on average, the, the best funded departments are the most mature. So I'm going to quickly spin to the budgets that I see here. So the National Science Foundation, 
has multiple well-organized programs. That is the largest non-defense budget yep, of yep. 2020, $487 million. And most of that will be handed out in grants, as I understand. Uh, the National Institutes of Health has just under half of that, $202.5 million. The Department of Energy also has stood up its own uh, internal organization specifically for AI. I've seen a lot of evidence that their uh, their strategy is very mature. And I've also seen new, new news coming out very quickly in different areas. In 2020, the USDA budget was published as 4.4 million, but in you know, very recently we saw news for an additional 100 million just in AI. We're seeing fits and starts and different levels of maturity for AI strategy, but lots of forward progress. Yeah, and so I, I guess the the short answer for the vendor folks tuned in again, it's it's going to depend on who you're selling to. Sometimes you'll have strict priority breakdowns of exactly what's happening, you know, within the the National Institutes of Health, for example. Or you, you mentioned the Department of Energy has a pretty robust plan and understanding of where they're headed. For other folks, it's just where the heck do we use this stuff, and that might be right. the starting point of the conversation because they're still mandated to to maintain leadership as as we're framing here, which I think opens up. Hopefully, a lot of forward movement for the government, and also hopefully a lot of forward movement for the vendor firms that are maybe not going to be getting paid by the private sector as much as they would have liked to. So that that takes us to our last section here, at least for for this interview, which is around sort of who the report is for. You, know, you and I headed out mm-hmm. with some understanding of who we were going to reach, but give an overview from your perspective as to who needs this information. In other words, you know, who would really benefit most from from the report uh, as it's been compiled. Yeah, I think there's especially four groups that could benefit from this information in different ways. So obviously, any innovators seeking funding, if you're in a position to lead independent research, if you work for a university and you're looking for grant funding, this report is going to be really useful to you because it's going to point you toward what you need to know to find these new funding sources. So that's number one. Number two is if you're a business that's innovating with AI technology um, or providing service that uses AI as part of its uh, solution, there's a big appetite for this. And there's a big appetite for success stories by using any adopted AI tools. People are going to be happy to meet you if you open discussions. Also, you know, government and and policy leaders, right? So there's a mandate and and there's beginning to be guidance on, you know, new regulations and and standards. And, you know, I, I think whether it's leaders inside the public sector or inside the private sector, people have questions about what is the hype, what's happening, and I, I think this is this is a really useful tool for leaders in those spaces to not have to read all those documents because we've we've done that work for you. And, and number four is is fairly specific. There are many new laws related to AI being proposed. New standards are forming. And so, if you are a you know a legal or compliance professional, if you're somebody with compliance in in your name, we have some leads here and that, that can help you start to wrap your arms around having a lay of the land keeping uh, your fingers on the pulse of what's going to be changing in this space. Cool. So nice overview for the folks who are tuned in. Certainly a lot to dig into here and some pockets that go rather deep. Ryan, I sincerely appreciate all the heavy lifting over the course of these months. I don't think that either (laughs) of us realized the rabbit hole, especially that second trough of funding, I know opened up a whole new set of research to make this a complete report. But at last it's wrapped and, and there's a lot of interesting topics to cover. I'm sure it won't be the last time you and I will riff about these as events unfold moving forward. I know that's, yeah. You're, you're very welcome. It's uh, it's been a lot of fun digging into this, and I think it's been I think it's really useful information. Big time. So, all right, I know that's all we have for time. Ryan, thank you so much for being able to join us here. Thanks, Dan. 
that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. We're thinking about covering more public sector innovation. We've got a lot of consultants and service providers and vendors that want to know what the government is up to. And I think a lot of folks in the private sector are also interested in where the government is investing and what their use cases are as well. What do you think? Pop me a note on LinkedIn. You can find me Dan Fagella on LinkedIn, very easy, or at Dan Fagella at Twitter. You can send me a DM or you can just tweet me directly. Let me know what your thoughts are on this. We always try to field the perspective from our podcast listeners before we dive into a theme. There's so much to explore in the public sector. We're thinking about doing more. So feel free to reach out to me directly. And again, if you want to check the report out, we actually have two different versions of it. One version of the report that's shorter, a little bit less expensive. Uh, One version that's comprehensive and covers the full breakout of the budgets and the spend for the United States government when it comes to artificial intelligence. You can find that at emerj.com slash gov. One. That's it for this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this one. Be sure to ping me a note on LinkedIn if you've got any thoughts about the public sector, and I'll catch you on the next episode of the AI and Business Podcast.